Chapter Twenty of the Friendship of Anne, a story by Ellen Douglas Deland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sydney went in to see Mrs. Braithwaite the next day. She found the little lady in a state of restless impatience. Have you written? she asked. Yes, Miss Braithwaite. The letter went yesterday. I think mother must have it now. And will they start today? I hardly think they will do that. You know, this is Saturday, and they will have to make plans and get ready. I think they will come the beginning of the week. Oh, they must, they must. I might die before I see him. There is no knowing. I am old now, you know, very old. Oh, how I long to clasp that poor boy to my heart and tell him not to grieve, and to tell him that already I love him and have loved him for years because he was my boy's friend. Why, when Braith would come home after his visits in Maryland, he could talk of nothing but Phil and what he had been doing with Phil and what a friend he was. They used to write to each other. Yes, I know, said Sidney. It was so funny to see Phil writing to him. He hated writing letters, but he always answered those he got from Braith. But Mrs. Braithwaite, you must not expect him to get over his trouble at once, even though you are so ready to have him come. Phil has been almost morbid over this and he has a strange nature now he isn't like other boys any more my dear said the little lady do not be troubled our heavenly father has some wise purpose in bringing your brother to me at last and he has a wise purpose in letting him suffer first i have great faith sydney i have had much sorrow but I have also much faith. The love we have for our fellow beings is a part of heavenly love. It is, in fact, the same thing. I think the power to love which God has given me was given for some purpose. I will love your poor brother, and he will feel that he is able to help a poor old blind woman who was the grandmother of his friend. It will all work together for good, Sydney. Of that I am perfectly sure. And during the Sunday which intervened before she could hear from her mother, Sydney thought of these words more than once. For strangely enough, the sermon which she heard that day in church was preached from that text. It strengthened her hope that Philip might outlive her sorrow and be a nobler stronger man because of the suffering of his boyhood monday is always the hardest day in school said ann talbot indignantly somehow the lessons on monday are especially difficult i know they are longer by actual count the lessons for monday are at least two pages longer than those for other days it is very evident that the teachers take advantage of the holiday we have Saturday to measure off an extra length of learning. 
as if holidays ought to be used up on study anyway. She was very indignant. She and Dorothy were dressing for breakfast this Monday morning when she thus opened the conversation. And as if everybody didn't know that it is especially hard to settle down to work again when you have had a few hours off. When I keep a school, things will be different, and you can all send your children to it in perfect confidence that things will be made as easy for them as possible. They shall never be forced to do a thing they don't want to, and lessons will be only an amusement and joy. Fancy you keeping school, laughed Dolly. Shall you do your hair like dear Wicky and talk alphabetically at supper? No, indeed. The alphabet shall be banished from school altogether. The children shall be taught to spell words the way they sound. It is much more sensible. And as for talking, why, we'll all talk about any old thing, just as it comes up, and we'll have meringues and ice cream and chocolate eclairs every day. That will be a school worth going to. Dolly, with an abrupt change of subject, you think you're a very wise little person, don't you? Why, I didn't know I did. Oh, yes, you do. You thought you were going to make everything straight by your wonderful visit to Miss Abby and your talks with Bertha. Now, you see you haven't. I shan't say anything more about the untimely death of the KQC. My injured feelings are too deep for words. If it had been anybody but you who went to Miss Abby, I should simply never have spoken to you again. But somehow it is impossible to stay mad with you. But you haven't done any real good. You can't change a person like Bertha Macy. We have found out what she is, and you may depend upon it. She will always be like that. It isn't in her to be nice or honorable or kind. Don't you notice how hateful she still is to Sydney? Nothing will ever make her different. It won't if we all turn against her, said Dolly. Of course. If we are going to make up our minds to have nothing more to do with her and scarcely speak to her and sort of point her out as a kind of a criminal, she will probably go on being worse and worse. It can't be possible that you would have us all treat her as if she hadn't done anything out of the way. Never let her know we are not used to that kind of doings. Just let her go on making mischief and trouble as long as she likes. No, of course not. But now that we have shown her we don't like that sort of thing, it seems mean not to help her again if she wants to be helped. Of course, if she doesn't, that is another matter. If I don't know how to express it exactly, but it seems to me you have got to show a person that you trust them a little, or else they will feel awfully discouraged and not try a bit 
to do or to be anything worth trusting. And you have got to help them. Oh, Dolly, Dolly, groaned Anne. You're too much for one. I can't follow the lofty flights of your charity. I'm too much of an everyday person. If Bertha were very poor and hungry and all that, I would willingly give her all the money I could scrape together. But as she isn't, I don't want to have anything more to do with her, for I think she is dishonorable, and she isn't a lady. And I think, maintained Dolly stoutly, that giving money isn't everything. If by being friendly and encouraging, you can make a person feel that somebody is still willing to have something to do with them and would like to help them to be nicer, if you can make the person understand that, I think it is doing a great deal more for them than it would to put money in their pockets. And besides, Bertha Macy doesn't need money, but she does need some kind of friendly help. She looks awfully. I think she is very unhappy, and I am just as sorry for her as I can be. There is the breakfast bell. Oh, Anne, I am not half ready. Well, I am. The moral of it is, don't give lectures on charity while you are dressing for breakfast. You little provoking saint. You maddening little angel. Anne helped to finish her toilet, and the result was that they were both late, but not so late as Dolly would have been had she been left alone, and in spite of Anne's jeers and vehemence on the other side of the question, Dolly hoped that her words had made some slight impression. It was very hard to measure one's success in an argument with Anne. She usually protested until the last moment, and would then capitulate in the most unexpected manner, but with a thoroughness that left nothing to be desired. That Monday morning seemed especially long to Sydney. She knew that there must be a letter from her mother in the morning's mail, but as usual this was not distributed as soon as it was received, so it was not until the noon recess that her suspense came to an end. The letter was then given to her, and she ran up to her room to read it, where she knew she would be safe from interruption. It was short, but it told her all she wished to know. Mrs. Stewart and Philip would take the morning train on Tuesday, arriving at Kingsbridge at five o'clock that afternoon. Sydney would meet them at the station, and go with them to the hotel, and would spend the evening with them either there or at Braithwaite Hall. She could tell them when they had arrived what it would be best to do. It might be unwise for Mrs. Braithwaite to see them that night. I have written to Miss Wickersham, wrote Mrs. Stewart, asking permission for you to be with us as much as possible while we are there. Though of course, I do not wish to interfere with your studies in any way. I told her that important family matters were bringing us. If she does not already know about it, I think it would be well for you to tell her. 
we must try to take it all as naturally as possible i think i have made a mistake in that way in the past now that the opportunity for phil to escape from his morbidness has come we must do everything to encourage him to believe that his life has not been spoiled and that he is not to consider himself forever to be different from other people my dear child it seems to me a wonderful thing that you should have gone to kingsbridge to school and so have become acquainted with mrs braithwaite truly we have much to be grateful for phil is very quiet about it but i can see that it means a great deal to him i hope i venture to believe my dear daughter that the time is at hand when the heavy cloud that for so long has darkened our boy's life is about to be lifted and you have helped to bring it about there was nothing in the letter in regard to mrs tracy's invitation but sydney remembered that she did not send the address in time for her mother to have received mrs tracy's note before she wrote to think that in about thirty hours her mother and brother would be in kingsbridge it was almost too wonderful to be believed she wished that she might relieve mrs braithwaite's anxiety but she had no time then to run in next door to tell her that they were coming and get back for the opening of the afternoon session for recess was now over it was more difficult than ever to fix her attention upon her lessons after having received this letter and as the first was the hated arithmetic poor sydney had a hard time and so did her teacher the result of it was that she failed miserably and was informed that she must make up for her delinquencies by doing several extra examples before the next day you may choose your own time for them miss stewart said miss abby tartly for she was tired but i should advise you to stay in this afternoon until you have accomplished them there is no reason why you should not understand these rules perfectly we have been over them again and again and it seems to me incredible that a girl of your age and your usual good sense in other matters should exercise her reason so little in mathematics you have behaved this morning precisely as though your mind were full of some other subject now there is no other subject that can possibly be of as much importance as the duty of the hour whatever it may be and one of the most important branches of education is to learn to eliminate all unnecessary thoughts from the mind and concentrate our attention on the matter to be considered concentration concentration young ladies it is that which i would inculcate elimination concentration miss abby's voice grew louder she forgot that she had begun her remarks by a reproof for sydney and slipped into a general address which she had declaimed to all within hearing 
the schoolroom was almost empty at the time for there were classes in session in other rooms only the class in arithmetic was there to hear and one or two girls who were occupied at their desks in other parts of the room bertha macy was one of these therefore miss stewart continued miss abby once more becoming personal i would suggest that after dinner you return to your desk and devote yourself to mastering these simple examples return to her desk when she had been counting upon going to see mrs braithwaite to tell her that her mother and brother were coming it was most provoking and the worst of it was that she felt perfectly sure that she should never understand these silly examples which looked so easy at the first glance but were really so full of pitfalls for the unwary however there was no help for it though miss abby had put her words into the form of a suggestion they were really meant for a command and sydney very well knew that the schoolroom would be inspected later to discover if she were at her desk or if she should venture to go next door her movements would be observed commented upon and remembered there was nothing to be done but return to the empty schoolroom always an especially dreary place in the afternoon because the thrusted windows faced the east and devote herself to a task which she hated end of chapter 20 recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver bc